Welcome to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers, and I'm going through the book of Revelation. And the context for today, so we can just jump right into the message, is uh, found in the book of Revelation. And again, today I want to thank you for joining us as we do an exposition of Revelation chapter 14, verses 8 through 11. Uh, very interesting section. Uh, in fact, last week I entitled the message beginning in the... Uh, Sixth verse of Revelation 14, the, the strangest event ever. And uh, I, I, because of, I've had so many people comment on that title, but uh, <clears throat> it's just the way I see this, this chapter. This, this is a very unusual chapter. Uh, it's, it's as though we have moved off a little bit and we, we're taking more of a detailed look at, at, at a warning and messages to the world. And so I want to uh, begin today, and I want to read a couple of verses to you so that we can get right on with the message. The uh, context, again, is Revelation chapter 14. And I want to begin reading in verse uh, uh, 8, uh, and then I'll read verses 9, 10, and maybe 11 even. All right, beginning in verse 8 of Revelation chapter 14, the Word of God says, And another angel, a second one, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She she who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Verse 9, And another angel, a third one, followed them, saying, With a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark upon his forehead or upon his hand, he will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast and his image, and those who receive the mark of his name. What an, uh, what an, uh, it's a frightening kind of passage, but once again we're dealing with angels. Uh, we're looking at angels being involved here in the judgment. And, of course, we mentioned last week that it's not uncommon to, to see angels. We've seen angels throughout the Word of God involved in all kinds of events and activities. Angels have always been involved in the economy of God. They were involved in, you just remember, the giving of the law. Of course, we saw them way before that, but I'm just naming some highlights. They were involved in the giving of the law. They've been involved in all throughout the history of the creation. They've been involved in the care of believers. Uh, in fact, Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that. They, they're, they, they're minister to the saints. And at the time of the end, the time of God's final judgment or the tribulation period, we might be more exact. Uh, we, we find angels are involved in that as well. So we, we see this all through the book of Revelation. The role of angels will be a major, major factor in God's final judgment. Angels will be the reapers who will gather people at the end of, for the judgment. We find that in Matthew as well as the gathering of the elect into the kingdom. Angels are involved in many, many of the aspects of end times. And I think we all know that. So it's not unusual for us to read a verse like we find in Revelation chapter 14 and beginning like last week's verse, verse 6. And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven. And then this week, in verse 8, I saw another angel. And then in verse 9, I saw another angel. So we're seeing some angels here. They're involved in the, the, the judgment at the, in the last days. And it's, so it brings out the fact that uh, this is a message to us, or to John, 
And when you find the angels here, they are they are we we have to assume they're sent by God. They're not these are not rogue angels. They are delivering message uh, from the Lord Jesus Himself to earth dwellers. In fact, we're going to see these in, in just a second, a little closer. But there will be more angels as this chapter plays out to the very end. But beginning in verse 6, there's a series of angelic messengers who, I guess we could call it, they bring uh, amazing kinds of words or proclamations about the consummation or the end of the, of the world. And uh, before the chapter is over, we'll see as many as seven of them, but the first three are linked closely together. And the role they play here, as I said, not the role of judgment, but the role of warning. Uh, but before the instruments of judgment, uh, they are the instruments of warning. So that, be- that makes it a very interesting kind of passage for sure because of the involvement we've seen here with angels. It, it, it Im- immediately will arrest the attention uh, because of their role. Uh, their role is to make a last final effort to produce a remedial fear, perhaps, some have said, a saving faith, some have even said that, so that people can avoid the, uh, the torturous treatment of the, the Antichrist and turn to Christ. Uh, so w- there's all kinds of things out here. And, of course, last week's first angel, uh, I mentioned in there that we have seen a, quite a bit of controversy on what that means, whether it's actually a warning or whether it's a, an invitation to trust Christ. Uh, I don't, I don't know how it could be so confusing because I mentioned last week very clearly what it was. If you haven't heard last week's, uh, you might want to download that one and, and look at it or listen to it. It's the strangest event ever. And this week I'm entitling this one, The, the, uh, the Cup of the uh, Full Wrath of God. The Cup of God's Wrath is what I'm calling it. The Cup of God's Wrath. And, uh, and of course, I, I take that directly from verse 10. So I want to jump right into this and kind of get into the uh, the message of this. And each of these three angels, you could pretty much say whether well, it's a messenger, there's a message, and there's a meaning. Uh, so uh, I want to follow that same kind of format that I did last week. I, I gave a, uh, the messenger, and then the method, and then the, the message, and the mission of these uh, uh, of what this was was about. So this week's the second angel. And uh, the second angel says in verse 8, another angel, a second one. It tells us there. So number one on the outline would be uh, the messenger is another angel. It's very clear this is another angel, but I wanted you to notice the wording here. Sometimes the little simple wording like this kind of, we we kind of fly right over it. It says, another angel, a third one, followed them. Who's the them? Uh, who is who? Who are these? Well, the them I think is following verse eight and verse six. In other words, this angel follows those angels, and so this first messenger is simply following them. Now, it it almost sounds like, and I can't say for sure it's not, but this angel for sure is not a preaching angel. It's an angel pronouncing judgment, and this angel is. It's as though he's coming along right behind this, right behind these angels, and he is giving uh, another message right behind. It's almost as though he is interrupting them. Uh, that's the that's the, the the image that you have here. Uh, in fact, I think it's pretty clear that this is so happened so fast it, by the third angel and the second angel. That it's though the, and I see why people say what they do about the first angel's message. It really wasn't a message of invitation, many will say. Uh, 
they will say it's a message of warning. And this is one of the reasons why they give. It's because the second and third angel comes immediately before there can be any kind of a response from the earth. Uh, there is the next angel coming and proclaiming. The next angel comes and proclaims what he is going to proclaim. And so they, they're coming in rapid succession because this angel here, it says, followed them saying. So that brings up the fact that this messenger is, is following these, these other angels in his pronouncement of judgment. Now, uh, this, this sadly implies the rejection of the first angel's message. If everybody in the world responded to the preaching of the first angel, the second angel wouldn't have to say this. It implies the rejection of the message of the first angel so that, in a sense, there's a certain flow here. It's In fact, it almost feels as if the second angel, like I said, is interrupting the first angel, and the third angel is interrupting the second angel. In fact, if you'll notice, the second angel in verse 8 only has one verse. It's only one verse, one quick message, and then chapter 9, I mean chapter 14, verse 9 says, the third angel followed them. So, now we're looking at the second angel here, and this is verse 8. So, the first part of this is the messenger is the angel. He is the one speaking here. He is the one in which the attention is given. Now, it's an interesting thing about this angel <clears throat> is that we have to assume that he is following them, and he can follow them in order of the way they have come, or he can follow them in the same path that they have taken, or in the same manner in which they gave their proclamation, this angel in chapter 8 is going to give his message. And so verse 8 follows 1, and verse 9 follows 6 and 8. In other words, the first angel is by himself, and then the second angel follows him, then the third angel follows both of those, what they did. Which means, in this first messenger, the angel... He is following the path, and we have to assume this is right because the first angel, if you remember from last week, if you happen to have heard it, it says in, in verse 6, I saw an angel flying in mid-heaven. Now, we, we know what that is. We looked at what that was. It's the very height of the point of the sky where the sun has reached its uh, highest point. It would be like going out at lunch and looking up and seeing the sun up there. This is where he is going to be flying. Not in the view of the sun, but in view of that's the position that he takes up in the very highest part of the heaven, and he will be proclaiming this message. Now, I, I guess you, you've, if you've ever read this verse or if you're hearing it now for the first time, you might wonder, well, during the tribulation period, what will the people think? When they come out of their office for lunch or they come out wherever they are and they look up and they hear this noise and they realize it's something. Do they realize? My question is, do they realize it's an angel? What do they think that is up there? I mean, I've never seen an angel. And to say an angel's flying in heaven, would I recognize that angel? Well, I don't know. Uh, the fact that, that John recognizes it as an angel, well, he's up there with them. He's seen them. But I don't know. Uh, we know Paul has. We know that uh, others have. But I don't know what they will see whether they see a being. Now, some have said the translation here is not angel, that uh, some trans earlier translations have it as an eagle flying in mid-heaven. Well, that's, you, could, you could recognize a big bird, but that might kind of 
I don't know if you would tend to think of Alfred Hitchcock, the birds, but th- this bird would be speaking loudly in, in verse 6 says, in a, in a loud voice. So we have to assume that in verse 8 that the second angel is speaking in a loud voice. And he is proclaiming to the earth so the earth can hear him clearly. And we have to assume also that they hear clearly in their own language what that eagle or that angel, I happen to believe it's an angel, is actually saying. So when verse 8 says the second angel is going to be saying something, followed the first angel saying he has something to say, Well, they've already heard something from the first angel. Now, whether they responded or not, they're going to hear the second angel. And that second angel's announcement is rather rather disturbing because I want you to hear it. So, number one is the messenger, and he is the angel, obviously sent by God to warn the earth. Now, he is is not to uh, pronounce uh, 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 the actual uh, judgment of this, he is, well, he is actually producing, he's not preaching the gospel, he's pronouncing judgment. I can't even get my words straight here. But he is actually pronouncing a judgment. And listen to what he says. Here's his message. Number two, number one is the messenger, number two is the message. And this same pattern you could follow all the way through here. All right, verse 8. The second, the, the messenger says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And so you, you, you hear this, now, we can think one thing, but at the time of the tribulation, they will think another. Now, at the time of the tribulation, I do think they will have a fuller understanding of what's going on by the time this angel begins to speak. They will realize a lot more uh, problems and judgment in the world has happened, and everything will be problematic. The world will seem like it's in chaos, and this is going to add to the chaos. This is going to add to the confusion This is going to add to the bewilderment of people and the wonder of people as they look up and they see this. Now, will they know it's directly from God? I think so. I think they will. But look at what the message says. The message from the messenger is, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Now, here's what else he says. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. And so we have to dissect that a little bit. And, of course, I will dissect it a little bit. But I want you to know that we're going to get into this in chapter 17 and 18. And so we're going to dive into that really because this is very important. The world is going to know just how important this is because it's going to understand more about the Babylonian activity or the Babylonian empire. Now, uh, like you say, it feels like this one is interrupting the other one, but the message is fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And the first thing I have to ask when I'm going through here. And making my observations is well, uh, who is who or what is Babylon? Uh, where is Babylon? Is Babylon really around today, or is that something that's going to come into the picture uh, during the tribulation period? Well, Babylon generally, and I'll give you this generally. You can look at it. Probably most any study Bible is going to give you this. Uh, you can you can look at all kinds of things as far as information. You can look at the the Book of Revelation by Amir. Uh, Safadi, and he, he will give you the same kind of information generally. And Babylon refers to the whole worldwide kingdom of the Antichrist. 
It's it's just the name of a the whole anti-God system of idolatry that is the worship of the Antichrist. That's that's going to be all over, everywhere, or influencing the whole globe or the whole world. And you remember they they're going to erect an idol. We saw that in Revelation 13. Uh, that supposedly comes to life in the city of Jerusalem. The whole world is told to worship the Antichrist in the form of that idol. But at the very end, there's no reason to assume that the very kingdom of the Antichrist finds its capital in the, in the, uh, in the actual city of Babylon. It may or may not. We just don't know at this point. Babylon, of course... Uh, is is a bit of confusion for most. We see the Babylonian captivity, and we find that in, in the book of Daniel, for example. As you read Daniel chapter 1, you see this Babylonian empire and, and how it dealt with Daniel. And, uh, and so you, you know about that, and then you know they, they fell. But in our recent lifetime and years, because of the war in Iraq and Iran and the Middle East, uh, became so prominent. A number of books were written dealing with the, the significance of Babylon. We won't go into all that because we're going to cover a lot of that later in chapter 17. But Babylon is, is, was, was, was being rebuilt. Uh, this is what Sodom Hussein wanted to do. As a ceremonial city, it was very possibly the rebuilding of the ancient city of Babylon. It may serve to be the actual capital city of the Antichrist and the final kingdom. We just don't know. His image will be in Jerusalem, though, and there will be a central focal point, but the system will be called Babylon in its totality. And again, we're going to identify it even more specifically as we get to it later. And it may well be that the capital city is the restored Babylon uh, in which uh, we know that the Garden of Eden actually was. Some people may not know that, but that's actually where the Garden of Eden was. And by the way, back to the location uh, we, we saw something amazing in Revelation chapter 9. We saw that uh, 200 million demons were going to be released along uh, a certain place. It says in the beginning in verse 13, The sixth angel sounded, and I heard the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying with the sixth, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates, uh, these four angels who have been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they might kill a third of mankind. Well, where is that? Well, that is actually being released from the same area. It's almost as if that part of the world became the seat of Satan or the center of all real uh, evil and, 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 and Satan's activity. Because it was there he corrupted the human race. Because remember, it was this is at the point of the, the Garden of Eden. And so... When they were dispelled from the garden, that began to be uh, taken back or taken away from, from that being what it was before they sinned. And after they sinned, it became known as, as uh, the tower, where the Tower of Babel was. And so, by the way, this location is that same location. It's almost as if uh, this is the evil center of the world. But Babylon, by the time you get to the end time of the tribulation, is not just the city. It's the whole complete political, economic, and religious world empire being operated by the Antichrist. It's almost like it's been growing and growing and growing. And by the time we get to the tribulation period, it is in full-blown operation. So it says, fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. So I think the world's going to know who this is, and they're going to realize that. But remember now, it hasn't fallen when the angel is flying. 
The angel is flying and saying this, and we'll hit more on that in just a minute, but just a little bit more of the history of Babylon. Uh, the first Babylon was a city founded by Nimrod. Uh, he was a god-hater. He was a rebel. You can read about him in Genesis chapter 10 and 11. And Nimrod founded this anti-god city early in the book of Genesis, and it became first the first place where idolatry was introduced. The first indication of idolatry we know as the Tower of Babel. Babel being short for Babylon. And so we know it. there's a lot, so much history here. And I'm gonna. And I, I know I can't, for sake of time, get all into that. But I am going to get all into that in Revelation chapter 17. So that's the birthplace of idolatry. The Tower of Babel was what we would call in ancient times a ziggurat. Uh, it was a, just a high building. Some people think uh, 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 pyramids were ziggurats, but they, they really were not. Uh, this is uh, just a high. Uh, a, edifice to try to reach the sky and not to climb physically up to God, but it was a, a monument to a false deity. Uh, there, the first world power of idolatry was designated and built. And the first Babel, uh, and, and it, the very first at Babel, united men. And uh, it's amazing how we see the picture of a united effort to do this. It united men around a false god, a false system of religion, uh, unspeakable idolatry, unspeakable spiritual adultery. You remember what happened, don't you? You know, God came down in Genesis 11, confounded their language in judgment so that they couldn't understand each other. There uh, had never been any other than just one language until then and then scattered them upon all over the globe. And what did they take with them? Well, they took their, their idolatry with them and it spread throughout the whole world. Now, the false religion, their rebellious hearts, and so Babel then spawned all worldwide false religions. Man, you talk about a good study, and that's that one. It's a worldwide false religion. All the idols of the world were the children of Mother Babylon, where the people were scattered. So the source of idolatry, it all came from Babel, uh, that Tower of Babel. Right there is, is where it all originated. And it's where it's all going to end. So this is bringing us fully back to where it all was in Genesis 10 and 11. And so it's so interesting to look at this. That's why I say it's important. And, of course, the Scriptures realize the importance of it. That's why we're going to have another whole chapter dealing with some of this stuff. So that is where this is. The history goes full circle, doesn't it? All humanity was united in the first Babylon. And so, guess what? It's going to be reunited in the false religion, idolatry, of the last Babylon. To show you how encompassing uh, all of this influence with final Babylon is, look at verse 8. Uh, uh, you, you see, Babylon is this woman, pictured as a woman, a harlot, actually, and we'll see her later. She has made all the nations, here's what it says, she has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. That's how influential and encompassing this Babylon actually is. She has made all the nations do anything. It's amazing. But to drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality, in other words, it literally intoxicates and deceives the whole world. How can that be? How can that influence and affect the whole world? This is the final Antichrist system, and it literally engulfs the whole world. Well, we've already seen that, haven't we, in Revelation 13? The Antichrist is going to rule the whole world. Everybody is going to come from all over the globe and bow to him. 
This is the message that this angel is given. Fallen, fallen. The end, divine destruction, the repetition serves to make the statement with great uh, emphasis. And I think it's speaking more to the finality or the great force. It shows the intense nature of the judgment. And, and not to mention the fact that it's coming from the lips of the angel. He's the one making this pronouncement. The comprehensive and complete nature of judgment and the tragedy of it all. When he says fallen, fallen, by the way, it's treated as if it were future tense. Uh, as if it were a future tense. Although it's not because it's so certain it's going to happen. But what I'm saying is it is still future tense. But the way the angel says it and the way we read it, fallen, fallen, and then notice what it says, is Babylon the great. It doesn't say fallen, fallen, will be Babylon. It says it is. And so it is certain, it is so certain that it's going to happen that there is a tense in the Greek that allows it to be written as though it has already taken place. And that's what we see here. Notice what else it says. The evil system has made all the nations drink of the wine and the passion of our immorality. I just mentioned that, but here's what, what does that mean? Well, the immorality, and if we're not careful, we'll get this confused with physical. We're speaking about the spiritual here. Immorality in the spiritual sense. It's not speaking of the sental, the, the uh, physical sense. And surely there's plenty of the immorality to go around in this world. And in fact, it's going to be a sex-crazed world, I'm sure. But the real issue here is what you could call uh, a, a whoring fornication on a spiritual level. I got those phrases from another writer who put this in. I thought, well, but that's probably a pretty good way to say it. That will be the unfaithfulness. This is speaking about the unfaithfulness to God. The people of this world get involved in the system so incredibly bound to it and, and they are involved in the wine of the passion of the spiritual immorality. The word passion there means uh, anything inflammatory, exciting, or passionate, out of control with desire. It pictures really, as, as uh, one writer puts it, it pictures really for us a, an orgy of rebellion. Uh, in other words, or a uniting of rebellion. I'd rather have used that word. I don't like that other word. Uh, so it pictures for us a, a unifying of the, of the people for idolatry. It pictures for us an, an, uh, a unified of animosity and hatred towards God. Now imagine that. We're talking about earth dwellers. We're talking about people who have seen a lot during the tribulation period. We're talking about people who have seen some extraordinary things. We even saw in Revelation 13 and according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 8 through 11 they're going to see false signs and wonders that will be given the power to the Antichrist through Satan himself to be able to produce these false signs and wonders. And then you've got the, the, the witness of the two witnesses that God's going to see, send in Revelation chapter 11. You've got the 144,000 proclaiming probably got the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel of the kingdom. But these two witnesses are going to do amazing things. They'll be able to hold back the rain, bring rain, fire from heaven, or aim fire at people who want to hurt them. Man, the world is going to see some amazing, uh, phenomenal things. And so, but they're so involved. I think they're so involved with what this verse says. Uh, let me just read it to you again. Those who have... Uh, 
she who has made, she meaning the, the woman, here's describing her as a woman, who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. They are so blinded by the worship of the Antichrist and the false religion there that I don't believe they're going to be able to see anything of this. Now, they're going to see this angel or hear this angel, but I don't think it's going to face them. I really don't. I don't know that they're going to be fear-struck. I don't know that they're going to go and try to hide from this angel or try not to hear the voice or, or to hold their hands over their ears. I just don't know. But boy, when you look at a unified uh, a world of rebellion, idolatry, or animosity and hatred to God, a godly being like an angel coming and flying over their heads and proclaiming that this that you're involved in, this Babylon, is fallen. It's, it's, it's already gone. You may not realize it yet, but it is. So the whole world will drink of the wine of the passion of this spiritual defection from the true God. That's what we see here. <clears throat> so when we get to chapter 17 and 18, you're going to see in detail what we couldn't give you here. So angel number one comes and preaches the gospel, offers people a chance to respond and to, to trust Christ, but they don't have really a chance to do that for the next angel comes, which is this one. So it's amazing. Angel number two is proclaiming a judgment. But now the, the passage goes on. There's another angel. Angel number three. Now I, think, I think I have time to kind of get into angel number three. He's pronouncing damnation, pronouncing a damnation. In fact, there's a bookends of truth here. In fact, he identifies the people. The first bookend on one side is, If anyone worships a beast in his image and receives a mark on their forehead upon his hand, and then the, the other end of the bookend is verse 11, Those who worship the beast in the image and receive the mark of his name. <clears throat> so you have on the bookends of these people. Who are these people? These are the people of Revelation chapter 13 who have who receive that mark. You remember that mark is given, that you must worship the beast and prove it. <clears throat> you must have a validating evidence on your body that you are following the false prophet in his drawing people into worship the Antichrist image. And so that's going to be the world's system of, of worshiping there. And they're going to be given a mark that we said that that, that mark was, was a very powerful mark. In fact, we found it in Revelation 13, 16, uh, causing all the small, the great, the rich, the poor, and the free men, to the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And provides that if they don't, they won't be able to buy, sell, or trade except the one who has the mark. So you can see the enticement. You can see the motivation. You can see the manipulation. You can see the movement there to drawing the world in under the power of Satan. Well, now comes a warning from angel number three that those people, those people, each one of them, one by one, they are going to be a part of this that is the message here. The messenger is the same. It's another angel and so the message here is a little different. He says, basically, the message is that he who, if anyone worships a beast, these people, and they receive the, the image or that mark, then this is coming for them. And here it is, verse 10. He also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God. So not only are they being intoxicated by the 
wrath and the, the passion of, the, uh, of Babylon. But now they're going to get the second cup, and that is the cup of wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Wow. I really don't have time to get much further into that. I'm going to close that section out as far as giving you what that means because next week we're going to get a chance to look at uh, verses 12 and 13 and we're going to see an amazing, amazing picture here of how blessed it's going to be to be the dead. Look at what he says in verse 12. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keeps the commandments of God and their faith. I heard the voice from heaven saying, another voice from heaven, and here's what it says. Blessed be, or blessed are, the dead. Think about that. We look at it's the opposite. So we're going to explain that and how this last part, verse 11, 12, and 13, are all tied in together. What an amazing passage of Scripture. Please continue to read. Stay with me. Uh, pray for this as it goes out. Uh, again, I thank you today. You've been listening to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. Again, my name is William Rogers, going through the book of Revelation. And we have been looking at chapter Revelation chapter 14, verses 8 through 11. And I, I, again, thank you. Uh, may the Lord bless you, and thank you for joining us today.